Welcome to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650 post-draft lottery edition. I'm Jamie Dodd, joined as always by Canucks insider Thomas Trance, who also covers the team for the Athletic Canucks Talk, brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, keeping you at the top of your game. Now found together online at DLEAMC.com. Coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics. Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. 650, 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. It's over. The Connor Bedard dream is over officially. Canucks will pick 11th in the 2023 NHL draft. And uh, to add insult to injury, the local guy, Connor Bedard, going to the Chicago Blackhawks, which feels tough. Feels tough. Not a, not a lot of positive reaction to that one around the NHL last night, Drancer. Nope. Well, positive reaction in Chicago where they sold, what, $5.2 million Something like that, yeah. Worth of season tickets. Um, good for them. But, uh, but, yeah, bad for all of us. Yes. Not, karma not is good. not our boyfriend. Unfortunately, unfortunately, yeah, karma, if you wanted to believe in it, that's uh, – uh, that's a tough one to uh, to stomach last night. So, well, look, there we are. We're done. It's over. The draft lottery happened. We know uh, officially, as you mentioned on the show yesterday, at least they have certainty. They did not move down. They are picking at 11. So now the question becomes, what do they do? Who do they take? What should their strategy be? Do they move the pick? Do they trade down? Do they oh, trade are we- up? Are we moving on? We're not just going to live in the moment? Well, hold on. Hold on. Okay, so... You roast trying to roast me all show for saying that I've moved past the bad process that the Canucks demonstrated, right? Down the, Don't the stretch do this. of the season. No, no, no. Hold I know on. where you're going. Hold Don't on. do this. Hold on. And then I open up the athletic to read you and Harmon's piece about polling NHL scouts who should the Canucks be hoping for with the 11th pick. And a couple paragraphs down, after you, you know, do the litany of things the Canucks did wrong down the stretch, I read this sentence. What's done is done. Well, hold on a second. That's exactly what I was saying yesterday. And you're going to roast me and now you're dropping a what's done is done in the athletic for everyone to read? We're saying the same thing, Drancer. What's done is done. I'm glad you agree with me. No. (laughs) That was just transitional. (laughs) Like I'm just saying. you're, You're saying the same thing as me. What's done is done. I'm transitioning. I'm not saying the same thing. And and you know what? I really want to quickly say this. Your opinion on how the Canucks manage garbage time of this regular season should not change as a result of the fact that the draft lottery was won by, like, the three teams that we all knew all along. Like, at no point. And, what, it was 40-ish games into the season – where I began to like really pound the table and be like, please, Mr. Rutherford, tear this team down. (laughs) (laughs) And even then, at no point was it like, because you can catch Chicago and Anaheim and Columbus. Like at no point did we ever think that this team could get to that level. Um, And nor were we ever suggesting moves that made that credible. But, But even then, there were like seven plus points clear of those teams. Like it was just never in the cards. You know, I was calling for things more on the realm of like, don't extend Kuzmenko, trade him. 
not do your version of the Debrinket dock deals, which we all know would include like Pedersen and yeah. Hughes and things that, you know, I don't think don't, this team should consider. Don't detonate a, a nuclear bomb on your roster like Chicago did. Right. To the point where they have nothing. No, um, but it, or or don't do it 40 games into the season. Yeah. I mean, yeah. if they decided to do it prior to last year, I probably would have still been like, ooh, that's, that's worrying. But I could have seen it as a direction forward, right? I, I at least would have been able to understand it. The prize at the top of this draft class was significant enough to warrant the sort of surgery that Chicago conducted um, in soaring their chances prior to the season. That said... No one ever thought that they were going to be able to get into that te- that range, that territory, and that's reasonable. Like that's that's one of the teams that won the draft lottery. The Canucks never could have got there, and yet their management of garbage time is still deeply concerning from a process standpoint, and is still, you know, something where you need to accept, like you need to you need to feel an opinion strongly enough that doesn't change based on an outcome that's completely random, like the draft lottery. If your opinion does change as a result of those results, like it's a bad take. It's a bad opinion. (laughs) It's a bad process, just like the team um, sort of inaugurated. Falling into that bottom five, the value there was never getting Bedard. Obviously, maximizing your odds of it was useful, but it was about being able to stick into the top five without winning the lottery um it was about being in that range for a carlson or a will smith to fall to you right uh, to have first dibs on whichever you prefer of benson Dvorsky, uh barlow leonard like that class of guys that we're still going to be talking about for the next two months because hey look one of them could fall right there's going to be this draft class's version of a, of a dylan gunther who falls and we'll talk to Jason Bukala yep. shortly. Right. And like, for example, his mock draft with Sam Constantino has Dvorsky going 12 with the Canucks passing on him, which like, please do not have that reality be ours. I don't want to, I don't want to have that happen while I'm on live radio. Like that'll uh-huh. make the Philip Peronic face palm look like, um, <laughs> Nothing like that. I saw it would be that, a far uh, more violent reaction. I saw that Craig Button had um, the Canucks passing on Zach Benson and Benson going twelfth. Oh, so okay. I can that only, would, that I would can be only even imagine worse. your reaction if that were to, to transpire. There, that would be even worse. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, is it a good sign that everyone making these mock drafts is just like building a Canucks mistake into it? Twenty four hours after the draft lottery feels like a bad sign, Jamie. Um, well, we'll see, but. Uh, yeah, like we'll talk to uh, we'll talk to Jason Bukala uh, coming up here at twelve thirty and get his thoughts on where the Canucks sit at eleven. What are some of their options? Are who are some of the players that could, as you said in his mock draft, he had uh, Dvorsky sliding all the way to twelve. A lot of other ones have him going in the top ten. Uh, so we'll we'll talk about you know realistic options that could be there for the Canucks now. Uh, and by the way, you can get your thoughts in about what you want to see the Canucks do, what you think they will do, 650-650 to the Dunbar Lumber text line. Um, Patrick Alvin spoke to the media and then also with Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah on Canucks Central here on Sportsnet 650. And, you know, Patrick Alvin, pretty cagey, typically, with the media. I didn't think he revealed a ton about uh, their thought process. He He emphasized best player available, but, you know, I think, 
GMs are going to do that. You he can emphasized always say, it too much. No, he emphasized it too much. You can always say the player you took is the best player available, right? Like, you know what I mean? You never have to. Do. You never have to admit after the fact that you reached for positional need. You just say, yeah, this defenseman we took was the best player available. So it's good. It's better than not saying it, but it, it, it doesn't mean a whole lot going forward projecting what's going to happen to me. No one on the circuit or in the industry believes that the Canucks are not focused on defense, if at all possible. So for, take that for what it's worth. I think I think the consideration along the blue line is going to loom large in their consideration set, whether or not they ultimately make that pick, like as a defenseman, whether they find the value there. I think it's going to be hard. And, and, you know, the Benson question is a really interesting one because it's like another undersized winger. You know, after taking LeCaramacchi last year with Hoaglander in the system, with Garland, a contract that the club can't seem to shed. I mean, at what Beauvillier added in the Bo Horvat mm-hmm. trade? I mean, at what point does that become something that this club gets leery about? Does it actually shape, you know, the, the sort of decision that really shouldn't be based on need or, or what you have on your NHL roster at all? Um you know, I'm I'm pretty skeptical. I'm pretty skeptical that the Canucks will end up taking a winger at 11, one way or another. You know, the one thing I will say about what Patrick Alvin had to say was, you know, it wasn't just that he said best player available, but he specifically outlined, like, the underlying logic, which is, hey, you're at 11, you're pick- taking a player who's probably not going to be able to play for you in at least two, maybe three years, and your roster could actually look very different at that point. I mean, just hearing you list the names you're talking about, right? Like... Yeah, okay, you've got a couple of undersized wingers on your roster right now and Connor Garland and Anthony Beauvillier, but you can't make draft picks based on those guys. You can't let that, those types of players influence no. who you're going to take in the draft. And even LeCara Mackey and Niels Hoaglander, those are more recent. Those are younger. They have a, a, a higher likelihood potentially of being with the organization for longer. But, you know, you and I were talking about this uh, not that I, long I want to be clear that I agree with you. I just think it's lip service from the Canucks. I just think when you look at what they need, and I I completely understand the aversion to taking a winger because they have so many wingers and they've used so many high-value picks on wingers. I get that, but they also just need really good players. They need high-end star players in this lineup, and if somebody does drop to you, like Zach Benson, that you think has that type of upside, or Colby Barlow or whoever, somebody with that legit star upside that you think can be a first-line caliber play-driving player for you, I think you kind of just have to bite the bullet and say, you know what, yeah, we have a lot of wingers, but we're going to go and draft this one because, again, you have a lot of wingers, but how many do you have that fit that profile that are blue-chip prospects like that or, or even young players uh, at the AHL or NHL level? You don't have a lot, and that's what you need more than anything else. Now, look, is there maybe there's a chance that – one of the centers that potentially has that upside drops, I don't know. But I think unless you're trading down, right? So if if you get to pick 11 and the centers you like are gone and you're thinking about reaching for a defenseman, I would have no problem with trading down. But if you're sticking there, you have to go with the value. You have to go with best player available and get somebody who can be elite, somebody who can be elite for this team down the road. I've got we've got someone in the inbox, by the way, saying Drance literally said the same thing last year. The Canucks are focused on taking a defenseman. I'm sorry, but I was on Lakaramaki and the Canucks interest in Lakaramaki and Gauthier, like almost right from the jump. 
Like those guys were the guys who I kept hearing linked to the Canucks uh, with it cooling around Gaucher as the process unfolded. Um, that's ridiculous. That's like, stop making stuff up. Anyway, it's a really interesting spot to be in. And, and I, it kind of reminds me of when the Canucks were in nine and traded the pick ultimately in the summer of 2021, where it's like someone good is going to fall for you with the, with the exception of this, which is, it was really a nine. Like there was really a tier of nine guys mm, <laughs> in that, that like McTavish, yeah. Kent Johnson, Luke Hughes class. There were some guys we knew wouldn't fall. So it wasn't like a equal group of nine. But it was really hard to figure out whether it would be Clark or Eklund or Kent Johnson, who ended up obviously climbing really late, um, Gunther or Edvinson, who ended up slipping through to the Canucks. And they end up trading that pick, so so it doesn't matter. But just taking the guy who fell was always going to be the right, pick, right, right call. Uh, certainly better than using it to trade for the Ekman-Larsen contract. Uh, this year, you've got sort of this group of four, and I'm not even including Mitchkov in this four anymore because it's Bedard, Fantilli, Carlson, and Will Smith, who's really uh, a late riser mm-hmm. as a fresh prince. And and then you have this group that I see as like six six guys big. And if any of these guys fall, they're the guy to take. And it's, it's Reinbacher, Dvorsky, Benson, Michkov, Leonard, Barlow. Yeah. And I include Reinbacher there mostly because I expect him to go top 10. But I'll be honest with you, I don't know that the value is really there for him to go at 11. Um, I just don't see us like clear enough way for him to play. And I don't think he's a slam dunk best defenseman in the class. Uh, so then you get to what the Canucks are more likely going to be considering. And I think you have this group of like Oliver Moore. Uh, Andrew Crystal, Matthew Wood, Axel Sandin Palika. Yep. Yeah. Dmitry Simashev, the Russian defenseman, who for me is probably the most interesting defenseman in this class. Like, if the Canucks took Reinbacher 11, it would be like, well, they had to do it. If they took Simashev at 11, I'd be like, that's a really gutsy call. And and I like that pick. But that's like, the, uh, and then uh, if sorry, if you're sorry. if you're into if you're in on uh, the Russian, like that's the quintessential trade down spot though for you, right? You know what I mean? Because you think you can probably get him post fifteen in that draft if that's the guy you love. Someone's gonna like him a lot. All right, he's six foot four, he's two hundred pounds, and he's and he's really a puck mover, not a defensive guy. Mm, uh, he he's going top. Fi- I won't be shocked if he goes top fifteen despite the Russian factor at all. I don't think you can expect to get a defender with those tools like further back in the draft order, in my opinion, anyway. All right. That surprises um, me with the Russian factor, but fair enough. Continue. And then and then Danielson, Jaeger, right? Yeah. Like those sort of that sort of group. And and really I do think the Canucks are most likely to be left out of that sort of group of six after the group of four. But Maybe they get a bounce. Maybe a team really likes a Sam Honsick, you know, the size there, and sees him as a Matthew Kachuk type. Um, I don't think he's got the offense for that, but hey, maybe that'd be great. And you know, maybe a team really loves Andrew Crystal's uh, skill set. Maybe Matthew Woods' size and the Tage Thompson comps uh, play. Uh, so you know, Oliver Moore's speed, like 
Oliver Moore is one of the best skaters in this draft. He's been enormously productive for the U.S. national development team. His uh, line mate, Gabe Perot, uh, Yannick Perot's kids, also like a historic rate scorer for the U.S. national development team. Um, you know, maybe one of those guys cracks the top 10, in which case, you know, that would be a gift. And, and the Canucks will get a really good prospect. Either way, they're getting the best prospect in the organization yeah. uh, with pick 11. And they didn't move back. And as tough as it is to see Bedard go to Chicago, where the Fratellis will play every time he scores on home ice, hate that. Um, at least he didn't go to Arizona. Yeah, those are the two absolute. Those are the two ones that I didn't want at all. Yeah, I think it, I probably would have preferred Arizona, to be honest with you. But no, Chicago. Uh, Chicago is extremely tough. They're both. They're both. At least really, they're really sizzle. Bad. At least there's sizzle in Chicago, and. Also, he doesn't end up going to the, a team in the division. Yes, and that, that was does huge. matter too. That was huge. I, Anaheim was the other I, one that I very much did not want. Yeah, I thought there was a route for Anaheim to be like better than the Canucks next year with Bedard on the roster. Yeah. Now I, I think that's less likely. At least the downside risk of the Canucks like moving to seventh in the Pacific feels far more remote. Uh, Marcus and Gibson says best player available, even if it hurts, i.e. take another winger. Uh, that's kind of how I would look at it. No, that's as well. right. It's, it might be tough. It I might just be don't really buy difficult. It might hurt, but yeah. Yeah. I want to be clear. I agree. I don't believe that the club truly feels that way in their hard hearts. Uh, and this one comes in unsigned. Any defenseman picked in this draft is three to four years from the NHL. Plus, the 2024 draft is stacked for defensemen. Um, a few of the scouts you and Harmon talked to at uh, at the Athletic men made that point as well. That the 20 this draft is light on defensemen in the first round. Next year's draft looks very heavy on defensemen. But setting aside whether or not there's any defensemen this year that are worth taking with the 11th pick, like I wouldn't shy away from drafting a defenseman because next year has lots of good defensemen in it because guess what you like you need more than one really good defenseman prospect in your system it's not it's not going to be a bad thing for you if you end up taking uh a defenseman in the first round two years in a row like I wouldn't let that stop me from taking a defenseman with the caveat that you know the value has to be there at 11th overall uh, this year, but I, I'm not worried about you know how the 2024 yeah. one is shaping up at this point. You need great, get two good defenseman prospects. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean I don't disagree with you. I just think there's only really two guys in this draft class that I think are worth taking as high as 11. Uh, and you know uh, the the like Axel Palika Sandin class of player, like man the 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 small power play defenseman taken in the top 15 like you better see them and know they're a star you know they they better mm -hmm. be a Quinn Hughes level type player because otherwise overwhelmingly likely you're getting Soderstrom or Brandstrom or Bachvist right like Quinn Hughes breaks the mold there's not a Quinn Hughes every draft class far from it yeah, it's it's true. Like they have to have really, really special puck skills, skating ability, IQ, all of that, uh, to make sure that you're going to get the value from that pick. And something else I want to talk to uh, Jason Bukla about when he joins us uh, in a few minutes here. Should we talk about the fine really quick? Sure, let's do it. Okay, so the Canucks get fined for a CBA violation. I don't know how much I talked about this on air, Jamie. You'll have to remind me, but. 
it was a bugaboo for me that every time Rick Tockett was talking about his summer training plans, I'd be like, coach admits to CBA violation privately off to the side. Um, teams are just so limited and it changed in the MOU. Really, it was targeting the Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, but obviously the Canucks were on a foul of that with some uh, training sessions that involved uh, m- members of Canucks hockey operations, mm-hmm. the Hendrick and Daniel Sedin, and a bunch of players who were bottom six or third pair guys uh, and who Alvin said couldn't go to Abbotsford. Um, not unusual for teams to play a little bit fast and loose with these oh, rules. Sure. Like if you, if you ask around people who work in the business um a lot of them sort of wonder like or a lot a lot of the reaction is like well one of their players had a problem with it um alvin sort of described it as voluntary and then kind of caught himself during his availability clearly it wasn't fully sold (laughs) to to that group of players which poses its own difficult questions for the organization um you can't get caught doing it like you can't get caught doing it and that's a bad sign for an organization that just can't seem to get the little things right. Like, how how do you expect me, as an analyst, to have confidence in this club to manage the super difficult, like, needle-threading path that they've taken themselves on, where it's like, we'll contend now and contend later. Um, we can have it all. It's like, you can have it all. Can you go, like, three weeks without getting fined or breaking a CBA rule or, like, demonstrating that you're unable to get the routine day-to-day stuff? Whether it's firing a coach or firing a member of hockey operations or managing an injury or setting up summer training sessions with players without running afoul of CBA rules or um, return to play guidelines or what have you. Like, come on. You have to figure out how to get the simple stuff done. You have to be able to tie your shoes if you want me to believe that you're fast. Yeah, what you said is just don't get caught doing it, right? Like, that's the thing. Like, of course, I'm not mad. Every team is looking for ways to get an advantage, skirt the rules. As you said, push the envelope. Like, every team is trying to do that. Just don't get caught doing it. Make sure you do it in such a way that you're on the just the right side of the line, or there's some plausible deniability, or whatever the case is, right? Like, Or, or that you have players bought in. Like, you have to have players bought in so no one raises a stink. Yeah. Like, that's the key. Um, yeah, I mean, that's that's the issue. And then here's the other one. No one who's familiar with how this organization functions thinks that a 50K hit is likely to be regarded internally as a slap on the wrist. I know it should be a rounding error, but, it, but it's not typically with how CSE operates. So, um, you know, I'd expect that they'll be very careful on this front going forward. All right, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Jason Bukla, former NHL scout, uh, now columnist at sportsnet.ca. He joins us next to give his thoughts on where the Canucks sit in the NHL draft at pick number 11 and some of the options available to them. That's next. It is Canucks Talk, Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drance, live from the Kintech studio. Kintech footwear and orthotics. Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech 
650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Jason Buchla going to join us momentarily here to get his thoughts on uh, where the Canucks are picking, number 11th in the draft. Uh, Todd has bad takes, texts in. Do you think the organization will prioritize a Swedish player? I don't know about prioritize. They're certainly more. They're certainly going to be comfortable <laughs> picking a Swedish player, uh, based on uh, all indications we've seen recently, and, and uh, from Patrick Alvine. Uh, now joining us to talk more about the NHL draft and where the Canucks are picking, uh, former NHL scout, now a Sportsnet contributor, Jason Bukla. Jason, thanks as always. How are you? Good, fellas. How you doing? Oh, we're doing all right. Pick 11. You know, they didn't move back. They didn't get a, jump up and get Connor Bedard, but we knew there were slim chances of that. So uh, there we go. At least now we know it is pick 11. Uh, before we get into some of the players and everything, what what's lottery night like uh, for a scout working for an NHL team in the lottery? You try and stay as uh, preoccupied as possible, to be honest. I've gone through it in Florida, and it's like uh... – I try and get out on the road, get on the tour, and go scout a game instead of sitting around twiddling my thumbs and worrying about it. So it's so out of your control, and you know it's anxious. I remember when we, uh, I remember the McKinnon and uh, Barkoff year, and and actually we were um, uh, leading into the combine. We were watching as a staff. We were watching a playoff game together, Halifax game together, and and McKinnon lit it up and. Patrick Watt had already been named uh, in Colorado, and we just looked at each other and said, well, that ship is sailed over. Don't worry about that one if it happens. So you just know. You just know sometimes. But it's exciting. <laughs> uh, all right. So the Canucks are there at number 11 now. And I know you had a, a mock draft, a post-lottery mock draft up at, uh, at sportsnet.ca. Uh, and it was the Swedish defenseman Axel Sandin Palika going to the Canucks at number 11. Is he is that a bit of a risky pick at number eleven for the Canucks, or is does he justify such a high pick? Well, so a couple of things. Um, Sammy Cosentino um, kind of put it together, and I uh, gave uh, some feedback on in terms of strategy how I would handle based on his mock draft how I would handle the slot um, based on whatever player he put in that slot. So. Is there a little bit of risk with uh, picking uh, Sandine uh, Palika in that slot? Um, based on what comes after him, guys, I think he's the best player available. So I'm sticking to my guns on that. Um, I just came back from the Worlds uh, at the U18s. He was, uh, he was excellent. He was really good. Um, he played, uh, played to his identity. Um, one thing that does concern me, and it would be a, a talking point uh, amongst the staff as you – um, get more and more prepared before June is he has a history or a short history of starting quickly. Um, I don't want to use the word fading, but I don't have another type of description to use. So I'm just going to say starting quickly at events, uh, tapering off a bit and then coming back to life uh, again towards the end. So there's some growth there that has to be um, identified as an area that, you know, hopefully through more preparation, both mentally and physically, you're able to um, process things and, and compete at the very highest level more consistently all the time and in relation to your element, which is a transitional puck-moving defender. So um, here's one thing I would say uh, going off the mock draft. I know I'm foaming at the mouth. I hope you guys are okay with this. That's but, all right. Um, 
Uh, one thing I would do here is um, because of their draft board, the way that it looks, I would entertain calls on 11, taking a look at some of the uh, players that uh, even on my list I have right behind. So, you know, the Shalas of the world, the Perot's, uh, Otto Stenberg, the captain of the Swedish national team, is a bulldog, fellas. Like, he's a really, really good player. So, you know, because they don't have uh, a pick uh, in the second round, I'm just pulling up their grid again because I've been kind of preoccupied, but they don't have their second, right? That's what they gave up in the, in the Detroit deal. Yep. Is that correct? Okay, so, um, you know, it would be nice to fill that void. So I would entertain um, my line in the sand being call it the Pelica, but having call it three names behind, maybe four. Uh, dropping to 14, 15, picking up that second round pick uh, in return for the uh, for the trade. So you got to have to be flexible if you're Vancouver. Pelica is a good pick. There's nothing the matter with that, but they need more assets. They need more depth in the organization. So I'm all ears when the phone rings. Jason, one of the most interesting parts of your mock draft was Vancouver Giants forward Sam Honzik going in the top 10 um what what do you think the probability is that a player like him given his size given his performance this past season and and his polish right I mean he's a pretty polished two-way guy uh ends up crashing the party in the top 10 I'm going to say 50-50. I think that there's wow. going to be um, – what's going to happen here, guys, is uh, I think whatever happens with Reinbacher, the defenseman out of uh, Austria mm. playing in, in, Swiss, or, um, in Switzerland for Cloton, whatever happens with him and whatever happens with Mitchkoff is going to really disturb what goes on in the top ten. So um, I'm getting some vibes coming out of Europe that Reinbacher has the type of momentum similar – to um, when Detroit uh, made the pick at six overall at the Vancouver draft um, a few years ago. And, and, you know, it's, it's, um, it's going to be interesting. So I'm going to say this, if, if Honzek is available to the Canucks or if, if they, again, if they have two or three names um, and, and including Pelica and Honzek is still one of them and you're staring at 11, I'm definitely picking up the phone. That that kid right there, 1.3 uh, points per game on average in the Western Hockey League, a rebuilding Giants team. I sat down with him at the prospects. He was injured with Sammy Cause, and what a quality kid! Very driven, size. He's lean. He's gonna be. He's gonna be a man. Big, big, but like. We're talking 215 in the middle of the ice, potentially play the wing too if, if required. But I'm thinking more in the middle of the ice, um, three-quarter, better than secondary score. He's not going to be a point-of-game guy, but he's going to be like that 70 to 80-point guy and do all the things the right way. So that's a really nice target. Uh, again, I'm just trying to I'm trying to paint a picture for you how flexible, if I'm, if I'm in Vancouver shoes, how flexible I need to be in that slot. You also had Dvorsky, or the mock draft had Dvorsky falling out of the top 10. Um, in the wake of the U18s and his performance at that World Championships for Slovakia, the sense I'd had was that he was one of the, the big risers. Um, 
what are, what's the likelihood that a player like that is available at 11? And if he is, in your view, can the Canucks afford to pass on uh, a player with that sort of size and all-around game? So on my personal list, I have him in the top 10. This uh, So mm-hmm. Sammy, Sammy has him falling out. Um, at the Worlds, uh, similar to Yuri Kulik last year from uh, Czechia, who went to the Buffalo Sabres like 28th overall, I believe, um, he had a heck of a tournament at, at the Worlds for Slovakia. Dvorsky did. He played the middle. There's some people that have some uh, concern about his stride. I don't mind the mechanics, guys. I think that he can stretch it out a bit, um, like get a longer stride, but the mechanics aren't horrible. He's not like a weeble wobble, you know what I mean? Like he's not all over the place. So um, his his edges, if he stretches out his, his glide and his stride, I think his edges will improve as well. Elite release. I mean, and he's one of those guys that finds quiet ice in the offensive zone and pucks find him. And when he gets it in on his stick, I mean, he's releasing it to the net. So if he falls to 11, um, he, you can't go past the Borski. You just can't go past him. Um, you know, he's going to, geez, I, I'm just envisioning a few things here down the road when he arrives, you know, if they get, you know, the extensions done with like Pedersen and stuff like this guy, he'll rip pucks from the, from the half wall on the power play and uh, provide that upper echelon uh, scoring that uh, and play faster than some of the guys that they have there right now. I think we all agree that they could use some more speed in a couple of those slots. He's even though his his mechanics are what they are, and, and some people have concerns, he's still on projection quicker than what the Canucks have right now. In, in conversation with Jason Bukla, former NHL scout, Sportsnet contributor here on Canucks Talk, Sportsnet six fifty. You mentioned his name a couple minutes ago, Jason Otto Stenberg. Uh, Swedish center and you know not in the mock draft but in your personal list which was up recently at Sportsnet as well I think he had him at 13 uh, which is higher than I've seen in some other places what makes you excited about this player and could he be somebody who kind of keeps raising his profile where he might make sense at pick 11 for the Canucks so he doesn't make sense at pick 11 but he does as a trade back a couple slots to pick up another pick somewhere and uh, I love this guy. I know that I'm a little bit rich on it compared to some other people, and I don't care. I've tracked him for religiously for a long time. He's the captain of the national team. He's an absolute bulldog. I mean, he's involved in everything all over the ice. He rips pucks from all over in the offensive zone. Like, he's one of those guys that when he gets it in the circle, he's not looking to dish it off. He's getting it to the net. He's following it up for a rebound. And here's the thing. When you get a shooter like that who's an aggressive player in the offensive zone, off the puck, you know where the puck's going. So there's, you don't have to overthink it. He gets it. It's getting to the crease area. If I'm off the puck, I'm going to the net looking for it. But here's what he does even better. Penalty kill, he'll block shots. Track back 200 feet, he'll muscle guys along the wall. He's built like a fire hydrant, 5'11", 180. I really like his character. He's quick to space. I think he's a top three forward on projection. At worst, he's a uh, he's a two A if you uh, if you know what I mean. Um, I, I don't know. Like you win with guys. You look at the playoffs right now. These are the kind of guys that you win with, like the Aho type of players in, in Carolina. 
you're, you're making a good case for him to go at 11. I got to say, I, I understand trade back would be better, but I like what I'm hearing uh, from pick 11 right there. You know, you talked about Reinbacher and kind of the momentum that he has. Dvorsky, same thing after the U18s. Is there anybody on the who, you know, right now might be on the outside or the fringes of the top 10 that you think also has that kind of upward momentum that could push for a top 10 pick by the time draft uh, the draft rolls around? Uh, you know what? I think that there's some teams out there. So for me personally, not really. Like Hanzak would be a guy that, that would definitely be in the mix for that. I got him 15 on my year end, but I'm really splitting hairs. Eh? Between uh, basically 10 to 17, I'm splitting hairs on guys. So it really it depends on how you want to build your team. Um, you know, the Danielson kid out of, out of Brandon. So you get a bigger, a bigger player in the middle of the ice who's got more bump to his game scored 33 goals, 78 points in the Western Hockey League, plays a three-zone detailed game. Braden Yeager, the kid from Moose Jaw, you know, he's smaller, 5'11", 166. I'd like to see a little more burn out of him. Um, but traditionally, he's been a shooter. He became more of a playmaker this year. My The guys that I have just in front, the Oliver Moore kid out of the U.S. National Team Development Program, he's very interesting. Something that, that I noticed at the world especially was that he doesn't get any primary power play time. I knew that going in, but he doesn't get any of that type of time. He's used in all situations. He gets the harder matchups than uh, the top line at the U.S. team, the Will Smiths, the Perros, and the, and the Leonards. He actually, against the top-tier teams at the Worlds, scored the same amount of points as Will Smith did. So Will Smith had 20 points, but 12 of those points came against either teams that didn't win a game or won a single game. And we're part of the relegation at the end. So uh, Moore was right in that mix, plays fast, plays a hard, hard game. Um, he's interesting as well. So I, I, would, I would keep an eye on Oliver Moore. I think that might be a riser. Books, talking to a bunch of people on the circuit, uh, other amateur scouting contacts over the course of the weekend in, in preparing for the draft lottery. The, the sense I sort of had is you got this Bedard in a tier of his own and then this Fantilli, Will Smith, Carlson tier. And then I, I sort of see it as this group of six guys. Dvorsky, Reinbacher, Benson, Mitchkov, Leonard, Barlow as kind of rounding out what, what based on what I'm hearing, I'm expecting of the top ten. Now, now Hanzik, some of those other guys could crash the party. Um what what do you what's your take on sort of those tiers and which of those players would you keep an eye on as having the potential to fall out of the top 10 i think you got your finger on the pulse to be perfectly honest the the, the one guy obviously mitch Koff's the wild card right and yeah um the scenario with him, like he's he's four on my list, my personal list, but he really would be two on my list um, if not for the outside noise, you know, the contract and, and everything else that's going on there. Um, and I'd be splitting hairs on Fantilli there to be to be clear. So, um, mm. but that's how good he is. Like he's he's the second most talented pure offensive player in the draft, Mitch Koff. Um so it's gonna a lot of it's gonna depend on who jumps at that. Like is Montreal because they've got a deep prospect pool and they got another first, uh, the Florida first. Do they do they jump at that? Does he get past Washington? 
you know, with Ovi being there, if any team can can uh, massage his contract at SCA, it's going to be Washington. Like Ovi will get involved, I would imagine, somewhere along the line there. So um, I think that the only other guy that, that could really, uh, you know, the Reinbacher one, as soon as he goes, it's going to be, if there's a team out there that thinks that they have to draft more for need as well, how quickly Pelica goes off the board because he's a, it's not a deep draft defensively. We're talking about two right shot D. Pelica's a heck of a player, but there's one more layer below that. I'm going to throw a little uh, flying ointment here. Tom Vlander, the other Swedish D, mm-hmm. um, he's a huge riser for me, and and he's not that far off from Pelica. So um, he might be another name to keep an eye on there. One other guy who seemed to have some buzz on him, but obviously the the Russian factor is a complicating one, uh, was Dmitry Simashev. Um, what what's your view on both him and Gulialiev, a name I just absolutely butchered? Uh, but the two <laughs> Russian defensemen in the MHL. Two completely different players. Simashev is right. a big body. Um, he leans two-way shutdown D for me. I'm having a hard time, uh, full transparency, I'm having a hard time wrapping my mind around why I have to draft that player out of Russia compared to some other prospects in North America. I don't see the super elite attributes uh, elements to his game that make me think that I absolutely have to draft them never mind in the first round i've seen that uh, but even early in the second round where where guliaev um he's totally different right so we're talking about a dynamic offensive player transitional defenseman run your power play um threat off the rush like skating it out on his own this kid's a really good player energy uh area defender he's one of those active area guys you know active stick kind of keeps guys to the perimeter but Lean's distributor on the power play more than shooter, not really a goal scorer. He would be, uh, I'll tell you, like, he would be feeding pucks to somebody like uh, uh, Wild Hughes, obviously. But, like, he'd be a second-layer type of an ad. And he's a guy that might fall to the second round um, in the early stages. So when I start, these are the names. It's interesting you bring them up because these are some of the names that I start to strategize if I'm trading back, where do I think this guy's going to go? Where are my three names there if I get that pick? Because if somebody gets him in the uh, between 33 and 40 in the second round, let's say, if it goes that way, boy, they got a heck of a prospect there. Jason, I, I want to do a thought exercise with you. I'm going to throw some teams at Again? you. Again? Again? I've been doing these with yeah, you yeah. for years. What's <laughs> going on here? I know. <laughs> well, now we do it for a live studio audience. Um, so, (laughs) and, and less refreshments are involved. Hey, um, (laughs) the, okay. So I want to throw some teams at you and have you break down. If you could see them be a Mitchkov fit. Okay. Okay. So this is the, this is the hardest thing to project in the draft. But here's one that stands out to me right off the bat. San Jose is so far away that even if they take a Will Smith or whomever or, you know, um, Dvorsky, 
It's not like they're going to be able to capitalize off his entry-level deal anyway. <laughs> They've got so much bad money on the books. What about San Jose as a sneaky team that can afford to wait? Sneaky team is right. I've actually, I think this is a wise suggestion on your part. I've looked at that and uh, part of me, um, you know, and part of my strategy here was I was looking at, at San Jose. So here's what happens. The Mike Greer has to be comfortable about their situation, about their plan, about where they're going in the next number of years. If you just want to look at it, if, if, if the first question is answered that, you know, ownership's on board, I'm comfortable, um, they've talked to the agent, you know, everything that uh, they feel good about it. If that's the case, you absolutely draft Mitch Goff over Will Smith. And it's simple, guys. He's the best player available. I don't want to, I don't want to even overthink that. Like Will Smith's a heck of a player. He's a great player. But Mitch Goff, if, if you, if you supplanted uh, Will Smith, if, if they switched uniforms this year and Smith had to go play in the KHL, and Mitch Club came over to play on the U.S. national team development program in the same slot that Will Smith was. Uh, I mean, I, I can't even imagine how much it would have been. Will Smith was all world, but I mean, it's hard to imagine, but this kid would have even been more impactful. So um, I hope that answers the question. If, if I'm comfortable about it, I'm comfortable where, where we're going. I like the timeline. I'm absolutely drafting them there. And I think you're right. I think San Jose is a sneaky, uh, sneaky team. There. What about, uh, Arizona, could they afford to wait or do they need some sizzle in their lineup? The reason they can afford to wait more than a lot of uh, teams, franchises, is because their timeline for all of these prospects, as you guys know, they've got like a football team worth of prospects coming, right? So <laughs> there's only there's only 50 contracts, including your National Hockey League roster and your, you know, your American League roster, the whole nine years. There's only so much room for everybody. So your timeline might fit better for them um, for his arrival based on how people are, are coming in or going out. Um, because Arizona is interesting. They're getting to the point where when they look at their draft list, they're going to have to look at a European guy, a North American guy going to college, and then a major junior guy. And if all three things being equal and they look at their depth chart, and they say, are we going to have room in two years for that major junior guy in the system because of how things are cycling in and out of our group? Okay, it doesn't fit there. Let's move over to Mitch Goff or, or a Euro. We got four years on him. We move over to a college guy. Well, a really good college guy is only two years anyways. So that's going to, mm. stra that's going to be part of the talk in Arizona for sure. The Caps? No brainer for me, but um, the, Caps are, <laughs> the, the Caps are in that 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 kind of uh the caps are in a weird spot right now guys like they need a lot mm. they need a lot to, to come through their system right now so um i don't see him going past washington though it just doesn't feel like it would happen hey jason just before we let you go you mentioned uh, the rising swedish defenseman tom vielander uh, and i know uh, one of our colleagues in the afternoon extremely high on the player what makes him a potential riser in your eyes so Vlander went from being um, more of a two-way D, real great. He's got great feet, similar to, to Sandine Pelica. But he went from being a two-way D area defender, and as his season went along, he started to incorporate way more offense. So he started ripping pucks from long distance, scored from long distance on the power play at the Worlds, became more of a power play quarterback on one of their units, and more bump to his game as well physically. 
everything about him got more confident, more assertive, and that's why he's on the rise. So uh, real sneaky, good pick by somebody when his name uh, comes up here in the first round. Jason, that was great stuff. Really appreciate it. Uh, I'm sure we'll have a chance to talk, if not before the draft, then uh, we'll get your thoughts on everything that happens at the draft in Nashville. Thanks for doing this. Of Thanks, course, Bruce. guys. Have a great day. Thanks. That, Thanks, Transfer. Take care. That is Jason Bukula, a longtime NHL scout and now a Sportsnet.ca contributor with uh, lots to chew on there. Some interesting names, some guys he likes, uh, his strategy of draft strategizing ways to uh, get back, maybe drop down the draft order a little bit and get back in to the second round. Always enjoy chatting with Jason Bukla. Uh, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. We'll take a break. Uh, talk about some of the things happening around the NHL. The game's on tap tonight. The Oilers lost to the Knights last night. Big news out of Colorado uh, for Gabe Landeskog as well. So we'll talk about all of that. Get your thoughts in. It is Canucks Talk on Sportsnet 650. Get smarter when you listen to Hockey Talk, the Hockey PDO cast with Dmitry Filipovich. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Canucks Talk Sportsnet 6. 50, Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drance here, live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. If you got thoughts, questions about the draft, about our good interview with uh, Jason Buchla that we just did last segment, anything happening in the Stanley, Stanley Cup playoffs or with the Canucks, uh, hit us up at 650-650, uh, and we'll get into it at some point in the show. Only Look at you w- giving us credit. What? Yeah, I thought it was good. I love <laughs> this. It was a good set. interview. I love him. He's he killed great, it. He's great. Yeah, he's really awesome. He's like, I, And I thought it was uh, – yeah, he, he um, called Axel Sandin Palika the, uh, the best player available for him at 11. So there you go. I don't know. It, that, uh, that's something Patrick Alvin can point to when they take him at, uh, at pick 11. See, we took the best player I, available. I'm planning my Sumashev f- flag, by the way. But, uh, but I'd obviously defer to Books's expertise over my own. Well, you're on Sumashev, because I know Sat, who was, I was alluding to at the end with Books, there is all over uh, Wielander, the Swedish defenseman who could be rising. But both of those guys, and I know you're saying with Sumashev, like, oh, he's got a real, like, he was going to go in the. Uh, top top half of the first round and Vielander could be that as well because they're you know uh defensemen of certain defensemen. defensemen of certain physical attributes I get that they they both feel like classic trade down candidates for me though from from 11 right like if one of them oh, yeah. you know what I mean like that and if that's how it transpires right if you trade to like 16 oh, yeah. go go get both and get yeah right and get this Vielander guy and pick up a second round pick like that sounds awesome that sounds like a really great draft uh, from my perspective for although although I want to be very clear if you're if you're talking like trading down into the twenties, my guy is Molendike. Okay, <laughs> like all right. Then, that's 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 the real guy. What about Dragasevich? Did he do anything for you? Um, really skilled. I, I just think there's a lot of project there. Like the thing to know about Dragasevich, like really big, right-handed from Richmond. Yeah. So we can have another uh, Lucas from Richmond. Uh, shout out to Wyatt. Yeah. 
Um, but um, sorry, the stanchion to, to those of you who don't know who Wyatt is. And um, I don't know why you wouldn't know who Wyatt is, though. I don't know why I qualified it that way. Anyway, um, the thing to know about him is when you watch him, like, I think he can be a PP1 guy in the NHL. And I don't know how many other defensemen in this class, maybe even including Axel Palika. Yeah. I think you'd say that about. So I think from a skill set perspective, he's through the roof. Scouts have some concerns about the skating. Have you heard about the prospect that needed that to get needs, faster needs, and stronger? Needs to work on his skating. Um, yeah, yeah. But or or the defenseman who needs to like work on you know his his in zone defending a little bit to succeed at the well, NHL so, level. So, but this guy's in that mold and yet completely different because he's only played defense for three years. He was a forward. Yeah, like he was a forward on those. Uh, well, and he was a ringer. He wasn't a full-time guy on that, that like, Vancouver Vipers team that Bedard and Benson and Crystal and Matthew Wood all played for. Um, but, you know, he like, he was a forward. He, he only moved to defense three years ago, so there are details of the position that are super raw with him. Um, and that makes his projection pretty difficult, I think. I like him a fair bit. I think he's intriguing, uh, for sure. But... I see Mullendyke's skating in particular and defensive awareness and the way that like in the WHL playoffs, he had that. And and I see it sometimes with Quinn Hughes where it's like the moment they get the puck, the attack is over, you know, right. like they might not yeah. be the guy stopping the cycle, but there's, he's just such a good skater. No, you breathe a sigh of relief. Um, You're like, Oh, it's on yeah. Quinn Hughes's stick. Boom. It's going the other it's way. Done. I don't it's even, done, I, yeah. like, I don't see the path to it happening right now, but I know he's going to figure it out and get it going the other way. Right. Hundred percent. He's he's got that. He just pushes the pace, and he's really smart. Like, and he's not small. Like, he's under six foot, but he's not a short or a small defenseman. Like, I think he can be a heavy minutes guy, um, almost in more of like the Bxa than the Hamhuis mold, right? Like a little bit of a marauding um, style mm -hmm. defenseman, but one who can still responsibly play tough minutes. Like Mullendyke for me. And I think he's going to go in the 20s. He's been projected as late as the third round Woo. at various points of uh, this draft process. But I think he's going to rise into the first round. And I think he's going to be tremendous value there. Yeah, the thing with Dragosevic, I like Molendijk too. But the thing with Dragosevic, and look, I'm not a scout. So a lot of this is just like reading what the public scouts have to say. Uh, you know, hockey yep. DB scouting, which is great always. I, I was YouTube make, scouting. I was don't forget yeah, YouTube. Don't scouting. forget YouTube scouting. Uh, I was making this point about Matthew Wood, where if you just look at like the physical profile and the production, it seems like he should be going a lot higher than he is. And it's the same thing with Dragasevich, right? Like well over a point per game as a defenseman in the WHL. He's six foot one, like has good physical tools. I do, and, and now, and I'm not saying that the concerns about either of these players are illegitimate. I get it. There's a reason they're not projected to go higher. With both of them, though, it just seems to me that there's a chance that in, like, five years, we're looking back at it and saying, like, why did everyone pass on the six-foot-four guy, Matthew Wood, who also has, like, produced insane numbers everywhere he's gone? Or why did everyone pass on the six-foot-one right-shot defenseman who put up 75 points in the dub in his draft year? Like, it, it's just when I see that type of production and it's not – it doesn't come with the immediate asterisk of, oh, but he's five-foot-eight. You know what I mean? I'm like, well, wait, maybe this guy should be going a little bit higher here. Well, and let's not undersell how cool 
this draft class is from a Vancouver perspective. And I oh, yeah. know I'm not at any risk of underselling no, that point. No, you're not. But just to go over it again in the wake of the draft lottery, right? Um, you've got two guys who are going to go in the top 10, and if not in the top 10, then shortly thereafter in, in Benson and Bedard. Uh, just absolute star-level prospects. And then Andrew Crystal, who's got some skating um, concerns within the scouting community, but absolutely sick. Just one of the most skilled players in this draft. And then you've got Matthew Wood, who's drawing Tage Thompson comparisons. Um, his The way he lit up the NCAA as the youngest player in college hockey is mind-blowing. It's ridiculous. Mind-bending. Yeah. But, but there are scouts who are nervous because of the motor. It's not, it's not a high motor player uh, and are convinced that the scoring stats don't match his actual performance at the NCAA level and that he might not be able to replicate it even as he gets older. Uh, and then finally, you've got Dragosevich, who's a really intriguing project, but all through all five guys you know, who played a fair bit of spring hockey together growing up too, should be first round picks and, and will well warrant it. Realistically, you could easily see three or even four of them go in the first half oh, yeah. of the first round. Yeah. And even Matthew Wood and look, the the motor thing, I think that's very fair to bring up well, as a red his flag. His stock's like that, rising though. Yeah. But like, would, would it, I don't know if he was picked number 10, like if, if Sam Hansett can jump up and in, in to potentially be pick 10 or something like that, like, yeah, six foot four guy with the skill set that he has. I I can see some team talking themselves into him. I got I got a fade on Hanzik jumping up that high, but there is logic to it. I could see a team thinking that he's a center, right? Deciding to take that um, roll of the dice. He just didn't play center at all this year. Like he was a winger full time, and he plays really well along the wall, right? Like he he comes from a background where this. You know, he's in the CHL now, but he played pro hockey in Slovakia growing up. So there's like a lot of polish um, in terms of his angles, in terms of his game on the wall. So, yeah, we'll see. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'd be surprised if he jumps into the top 10. Matthew Wood, though, is the sort of project I could see a team yeah. uh, really deciding that they're high on. And, and again, he really helped his stock with his performance at the U18s. Uh, like he's a guy who's absolutely trending toward the first half of the first round and, and sort of the opposite end of that spectrum would be Andrew Crystal. Yes. Who didn't really light it up at the U18s. And I, I think some of the like top 10 prospect list heat has kind of cooled off on him. Uh, but man, there are teams that are going to be terrified to pass on a guy with hands and skills and a mind for the game. Like he's Crystal got. feels like maybe the biggest wild card other than Mitchkov. Again, Mitchkov stands out because as Bukla was saying, he'd be number two if he didn't have the the contract and all that. But now there's questions about where he could go. But I think beyond that, again, Crystal, just look at the production. Like a guy with that type of production in the WHL over two seasons, right? Like he was well over a point per game last year in his draft minus one year. Uh, and then what he did this year, almost two points per game. And you're talking about a guy like, would it shock you if he fell like out of the top 15 because of some of the other concerns, right? It wouldn't shock I, me. It wouldn't shock I, me if he went top 10. It would not shock. Oh, sorry. It would shock me if Mitchkov fell out of the top Sorry, 10. no, no. I'm talking Crystal. Crystal to oh, me is Crystal, the second it would... biggest wild card after Mitchkov in this draft. Sorry. Yes, I agree with that. Yeah. Mitchkov. I Mitchkov will to go Mitchkov, top 10. Though. Mitchkov will go top 10, I think. 
because I, I think I think he'll go top five. I think San Jose is a fascinating one to watch with Mitchkov because, I mean, how, how often have we talked about this? Like, even yesterday, we were talking about, like, San Jose gets Bedard, but, like, are they even positioned yeah. to do anything with it? And the answer is no. Like, their project is so long-term here. The receipt finally coming due from 20 years in which they were the NHL's best point percentage team, despite not winning a cup, um, you know, that that's the team. Like, that's the team that can afford to stash a guy and have him hit two, three years down the line. And while Macklin Celebrini considers himself a Vancouverite, we rightly claim him, Canucks fan, uh-huh. called for them to rebuild over at the U18 tournament. Did you see that? I did not. That's incredible. We got to get him you on the show. That? He was like, got to get him on the show, like, Cancer. Yeah, yeah, I get I me. Mean, I'll text him. But uh, he was like, um, he, he was talking to JD Burke of Elite Prospects, and he was like, "Yeah, I think they should rebuild." <laughs> it's like Macklin. <laughs> My goodness, go anyway. get that first overall pick next year, guys. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. That was what I mean. That's that was the spirit that he intended. The, of course, the comment. Of course, I'd love to play for that team, basically. But for his, for all that we should rightly flag plant Macklin Macklin Celebrini is a Vancouver guy who came of age playing at the North Shore Winter Club uh sharing open ice sessions with Connor Bedard and Kent Johnson um he also was a San Jose Junior Shark right his his dad Rick Celebrini local hockey or sorry local soccer legend went on to work for the Canucks now oversees sports science for both the Whitecaps and the Golden State Warriors like he was a San Jose Junior Shark it, it, it makes sense for the Sharks to really go all in on a, on a Shark Tank season. It does. Well, and and that's, I, the, that's the coolest team for tanking, right? Because <laughs> they have, like, the name built right in. Um, I don't know if they have much of a choice either, given how their roster is stacking up <laughs> for next season. You're right. You know what I mean? They might just have to do it one way or but another. Like stash a guy. Stash him. Yeah. yeah I mean, it, it's actually an edge. If you're if you're positioned a certain way, the fact that you can bring him over on an ELC at 21-22 and get two years where he's not an 18-year-old figuring out the pro game, but like as a full as a man who's in the prime of his career right away for an entry level price, especially if you spend a couple of years accumulating additional assets, adding that to Eklund and company, that's not not a bad way to expedite a rebuild that won't be that fast no matter what they do you also always have to think about the the like organizational internal dynamics when you're talking about a choice like this Mm -hmm. and i look at san jose it's still a new general manager in mike greer right so he doesn't have this kind of weight of years of expectations built up and pressure to put a winning team right now i would have to think at the ownership level there's some understanding of what you're laying out right that hey we're in such a tough spot right now it's not going to be a quick fix so it strikes me as a team where he probably has the kind of capital to make that pick right to sell it to ownership and say listen this guy's going to be a long-term play but when it hits it's going to be at the right time for us and it's going to make the wait worth it one well, and make no mistake like hanzo platner who's the owner of the san jose sharks first of all might be the richest individual owner in the league uh, but but second is really involved in a really healthy way um if there's anyone who's going to understand why a seismic gamble of, of that scale might be worth it 
for their franchise in their position, it's going to be him. Uh, Elliot and Ladner text in, and you can get your thoughts in, 650-650 to the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. He says, there was 43 trades at the NFL draft. Why is the old school mentality of standing pat seemingly the only way at the NHL draft uh, trade down and try to free up some cap space? And there are you do see people, teams move around the board, typically more later in the draft, right? In the kind of the middle rounds, you start to see lots of uh, – uh, of trades around the draft board. It's nothing like the NFL draft. I mean, I think it's as simple as the NFL draft is so much about positional need in a way the NHL draft just isn't that teams are going to have wildly different values on players depending on what their needs are, right? So if there's a, you know, really good cornerback on the board at 11 and you don't need a cornerback, it's a really easy for you to trade down in that draft and try to pick up something you do need later, give the pick to a cornerback-hungry team. In the NHL, the focus tends to be so much on best player available, so it can't be like, well, we don't want a defenseman, but this team does, and that's why we're going to trade down. Really, at, in the first round, what has to happen is you have to have just a very, very different valuation on the players still available than another team right like you have to not be very excited about the players still there and another team has to be really excited to give up assets to go get them and I think that's important to keep in mind like as much as I've been saying hey I would love to see the Canucks trade down it takes two somebody's got to be excited to trade up in that scenario and I understand like that doesn't happen very often for a reason in the NHL it's an interesting one though this year particularly because it's such a forward heavy draft and so many like we just to refer to the Buchel interview that our listeners just heard. Mm -hmm. So if you're listening on podcast, you probably just finished listening to it. Uh, hopefully you were listening in the last segment, but uh, I'll caption it in case you didn't. But Bukla talked about Hanzik and how he sees Hanzik potentially playing center, right? Yep. If an organization sees Hanzik as a guy who produced like that, is six foot three, has that sort of grit and detail in his game, and profiles as a center, then you might be really excited about trading <laughs> up to get him at 11 in a way that a team that views him as a winger might not. Um, you know, another guy that Bukla seemed excited about was Oliver Moore. Most of the scouts that I've talked to have some concerns about his offensive skill and upside. Right, like uh, Bukla is excited about more in part because he doesn't get premium power play opportunities, but still produces well. And a lot of other scouts would say, well, he might not get premium why, power why play isn't opportunities he getting for the premium a power play time. Yeah, right. And so there's a sense like this guy's going to play all day long, but is there's a chance? Is there a chance that he profiles as a Cogliano type speedster, mm -hmm. right, as opposed to a um, you know, uh, one of the faster, like more offensively dynamic types of players, uh, a Marner's type, for sure. example. So, you know, that's another one where you could see super divergent evaluations uh, based off of, you know, how that guy fits. Matthew Wood, right? Andrew Crystal. Uh, you go through the list, like in part because this draft is so heavy on forward depth to the point where like no one's going to be surprised if we see 13 or 14 forwards in the top 15 that's rare <laughs> that's like a level of um sort of uh forward forwardness 
<laughs> that we're that we're not accustomed to seeing at the top of a draft. But you know, this is a really strong forward class. So does that create some opportunities for a team like the Canucks to trade back, or do teams just decide that they're willing to reach and they're willing to overdraft defensemen to get them this year? It, it's going to be a fascinating dynamic, and and that's why you know I think. Bukla and the people who really understand how this process goes down are spending so much time talking about flexibility. Yeah. And that's an interesting echo too on some of Patrick Alvin's commentary. From well, yesterday. I was just going to say that, you know, when he, he was asked of course about, Hey, possibility of trading down possibility of trading up. I think you even asked him, you know, uh, you know, you know, you have pick number 11 now, like how does that certainty help your scouting process? And his answer was basically, well, we have to be ready to pick wherever because you never know mm-hmm. how things are going to unfold, right? We have to be ready to pick at all different parts of the draft. And, you know, they, they don't have that second round pick. They do have, I believe, two third rounders and three fourth rounders. Now that's more of like moving around within those rounds. I would say that's draft capital, to be able to do, but he definitely left the door open to, as you said, being flexible, right? Seeing how things unfold. The The point about how, like, whether a player is a center or not, I think that's a really good one because that's the thing that can, like, produce the kind of discrepancy necessary for a trade down to make sense, right? Necessary. If one team thinks player X is a winger and the other team thinks he's a center, yeah, you can see a trade between, you know, 11 and 17 making sense. If both if both teams think he's a center or both teams think he's a winger, it's probably not going to make a lot of sense. You have to have something that creates that real, like, divergence uh, in how you evaluate players. And, you know, the other There's thing I'd so say, many guys, yeah, though, in this class in particular. I mean, even in the top 10, if you go read mine and Harmon's piece at The Athletic, uh, polling anonymous scouts, breaking down Bedard, Fantilli, Carlson, and, and Mitchkov, too, um, you know, you're going to see guys who think Fantilli might end up being a better fit on the wing yep. and guys who think that Leo Carlson's going to move into center. And the impact that that has, even at that stage of the draft, right? Dvorsky's another guy playing center and dominating his age group at the U18s has completely altered the conversation around him, right? Um, You know, there are teams and people who are going to see Ryan Leonard as a guy who could profile as a a Ryan Hartman-style center, uh, as opposed to just being a winger, which he's played all year uh, alongside Will Smith for the U.S. National Development Team. So, I mean... Up and down this draft class, uh, Danielson, Nate Danielson's another guy. Um, you go read Minor Harmon's piece on who the Canucks should hope falls to eleven at the Athletic. Like, there's a scout there who says he plays like a winger in the offensive zone because he's kind of reliant on his speed. Um, you know, think about a Bo Horvat type where the blinders can be on a little bit, right? <laughs> plays like a winger offensively. Um, even though his defensive game size, all of that will play in the middle, you know, up and down this draft, like almost any forward, there are some players or some scouts or some evaluators who will see them as a, as a center or a wing and opinion will differ massively, especially for players at this stage. I think like of their lives and careers. The other thing to keep in mind, you know, as you said, how forward heavy it is, like that's a huge piece of context for understanding 
why they might just have to take a winger, right? It's not a normal draft where maybe there'd be, you know, five or six defensemen in the top 15 to choose from. It just happens that, one, this is a very deep draft with a lot of really good players, and a lot of them happen to be forwards, and a lot of them happen to be wingers. Again, like, I was I was, I was thinking of it this way, okay? Because I understand we need, you know, people look at it and say they need defensemen. They need stars they need star power if you want to think of it in terms of a need right like that's the need you're checking if you draft you know if a zach benson slips to you right or a potentially a colby barlow slips to you you're yes it's not filling a need on the blue line but you're fill you're still filling an organizational need in terms of high-end talent that can be an elite piece of the puzzle i was thinking about another uh, relatively recent not that recent now but really stacked draft in 2015 the Connor mcdavid draft and the Colorado Avalanche got Miko Rantanen at number 10 there. And look, I'm not saying there's a Miko Rantanen winger at number 11, but like in a very deep draft, they were able to get a stud top of the lineup winger on the fringes of the top 10 at number 10. In that case, it's the kind of thing that can happen. It's a long shot. But if you have a player at the wing who has that type of upside and that type of potential value, you got to do it. You got to do it because your biggest need, it's not defense, it's not center. Your biggest need is just overall talent in the organization. Well, so this is being talked about as the best draft since 2015. Exactly. With, with uh, in no uncertain terms, that comparison is being explicitly dropped by people in the industry. And it wasn't just Renton in at 10. Like Timo Meyer went, what, a pick ahead of him? Yep, nine. Where'd Kyle Connor go? Kyle Connor went 17. Barzell? Yeah, Barzell went 15. Or sorry, 16, excuse me. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. That's absolutely a comparable level of talent in this class, according to the people least likely to get excited by these sorts of things. Like, the people who really know it. You know, the 2015, this could this is the best crop since 2015 is very much so like a talking point on the scouting circuit and in scouting circles uh, in the wake of the draft lottery. 650, 650, lots of good thoughts coming in. We'll get to some of them. Uh, we got more sidetracked by uh, further draft talk, which is always fun, but uh, we will touch on the Stanley Cup playoffs uh, and the Gabe Landeskog news a little bit in the final segment of the show. Again, keep your texts coming in. It is Canucks Talk, Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drance, live from the Kintech Studio. 650. 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver. Online at DunbarLumber.com. One game on the NHL slate last night. Oilers losing to Vegas 5-1. Um, Oilers depth, I think, starting to become an issue again in this one, especially when compared to Vegas. Now, the top end of Vegas's lineup is really good as well. Jack Eichel was excellent, but I think they're going to have to keep McDavid and Dreisaitl apart a little bit more in that one, so it's not so lopsided when those guys uh, are on the bench right now, Drancer. That series, like, can we get a game? Yeah, can we get a close game? That would be nice. I mean, is is 
like I know everyone loves to dunk on the Leafs, but right now, like I'm counting on that series continuing because no one else is giving us a it's game. Playing close games, it's true. Yeah, it's been just like blowout after blowout after blowout. There's only been one series with any drama, and it's the one that could end on Wednesday. <laughs> so, um, yeah, no, I mean, it's a really tough series to project. Like I thought, I I had no expectation that that series would look the way game one did. And then game two happened, and I was like, that's more in line with my expectations. And then last night, I have no – I mean, Edmonton, figure it out. Yeah. They, They're uh, really not playing well. They really do need to figure it out. I just think Vegas is just a really deep team, right? Like I, I Plus, they have Jack Eichel and Mark Stone and Shea Theodore and Alex Petrangelo. You know what I mean? Like, in some ways, they're not, they're not as deep as Seattle, I wouldn't say. But it reminds me a little bit of the other expansion team where there's not a ton of drop-off. Or at least, I shouldn't say that because their star players are better. But then they also have really impressive depth to put with it. Like, they feel a little bit like an upgraded version of the Kraken to me in that way where you're you're really solid one through 12 at forward but you have the legit star players as well on Vegas's side which is going to make them a tough out for anyone yeah I like their blue line better than I like Seattle's too yep. right I mean that's a a big group <laughs> they are playing really well uh, especially given the quality of Edmonton's top top offensive players um, yeah, I mean, look, we'll see. I, I still think Edmonton's got enough to figure it out in that series, but I'm certainly worried, and I'm sure Oilers fans are today, too. Oh, yeah, I can only imagine uh, that they are worried. Uh, speaking of Seattle and their depth, this text came in uh, just as we were wrapping up our discussion about the Canucks draft situation, and especially as I was saying, look, take a winger because what you need is star power. Uh, this text comes in, everyone needs star power. The Canucks need a top six Top four player, not necessarily a star. Seattle proves that you don't need a roster full of stars. Look, Seattle is having a really impressive showing in the playoffs, and it's true that they do not have a star-studded roster. They get it done with depth. But to take that next step, to be a legit Stanley Cup contender year in, year out, they're going to have to have some star talent. Like, Maddie Beniers is going to have to be a legit star. Shane Wright is going to have to turn into a legit star. They're going to have to draft a star somewhere else or make a trade. Seattle is proving that you can have a nice run through, you know, three games of the second round without star players. But I don't think they're doing anything that says, you know what, actually, we don't need stars in our lineup. Seattle's still going to have to go out and find their stars at some point here down the road. And they have players that contributed at a star level over the course of this season, whether or not you consider sure, them like stars. Vin, Vince Dunn. Jared McCann. Yeah. Right? And so, but but also, but also you have to think about it this way, right? Which is Vancouver is trying to do the hardest type of build around Pedersen and Quinn Hughes and Demko, which is they're trying to maintain, or not maintain, because they haven't even got there. They're trying to get both good enough to make the playoffs short term while also contending over the long term. And that's hard to do because you're constantly adding Mikheyev types and paying JT Miller types, having already gone out and acquired Oliver Ekman Larson and Connor Garland types while also grafting, um, you know, Ethan bear and Philip Peronix onto your roster. And what do all those players have in common? 
right? They're all expensive. <laughs> and if they're not expensive yet, they will be, right? I mean, even Ethan Bear, who's an expiring pending RFA, we're, we're looking at 2.5 to 3.5 as soon as next season, right? Heronic, we're probably looking at 7 plus as soon as uh, the year after next. Um, you know, we all know how much it's cost the club um, to extend and, and maintain Miller on this roster. Uh, we all know all the options that are removed from the table as a result of the Oliver ekman Larson trade. So it's not like the club has cap space when they're building in this manner. And it's not like the club, as we all experienced last night, is going to be able to lean on the top of the draft order to supply like a steady stream of youth that, that can make a short-term impact, right? Like there's no one coming next season, including LeCaramacchi, uh, who's going to have a Beneers-like impact <laughs> for, for the Canucks uh, as they look to make, you know, a 25-point improvement and then hopefully went around. So, you know, you're doing it by the skin of your teeth, on the knife's edge. And the teams that have successfully managed this effectively all have one thing in common. Star contributors mind outside the top 10, right? Yeah. McAvoy. Pasternak, Pasternak, Jake Ottinger, Mar Robertson, Marchand going back um, a ways with uh, with with Boston, yeah, for yep. sure. And then and then like Matt Boldy, Kirill Kaprizov, right? If if you're looking at Minnesota, like that, those are the types of hits you need. There is no successful retool that doesn't include a star player landed well outside the top ten, and that's what Vancouver has to shoot for here. You know, there's going to come a time, probably, you know, in a year or two, where you start to encounter the sorts of diminishing returns that we saw this season with Oliver ekman Larson. now that he's 31, with JT Miller. How do you offset that? Well, having a star-level contributor on an ELC would certainly go a long way. Like, that's what this team's going to need, just to, just to not get worse. And we all know this team has to get a lot better. It's a really tough sort of path that they've chosen to try and walk. And it does not work. We've never seen it work. If what they're drafting at 11 or at 15 is a guy who ends up being like, you know, Sven Berchi or, um, you know, a third line guy. Yeah. Like, you know, plays 250 games, so it's not a bad pick, but. No, you know, you need a you need a real difference maker. You need your rant in it. And, you know, just to the other part of that text, which just says they need a top six or top four player, not necessarily a star. And I don't know if the texture is saying this explicitly necessarily, but you know, sometimes there's this idea of there's either like the high ceiling player, which has a, a, a bigger chance of flaming out, or you can draft the really safe player who you know is gonna be, you know, a, a number four defenseman or a number three center. And maybe sometime there are players that check one of those boxes, but I think more often than not, like the higher skill, higher ceiling player is also likely to have a higher floor. Like they also have a better chance uh, yeah. of just turning into a really good second line winger or even just like a contributing complimentary second line winger, winger. So I don't think those two <laughs> things are intention. Like if you draft for the highest likelihood of a player being a star, you're also almost certainly drafting for the highest likelihood of just getting a player, period. 
I don't think you have to think of like, oh, well, it's risky to take that guy, so we need to take the safer player. The player with the higher upside is also usually the safer player. 100%. If you're projecting a guy at 17 and saying with confidence that like, oh, well, even if it, he misses, he's going to be yeah, third-line uh, you know, third center, line yeah. center in the NHL, guess what? He's missing. Yeah, and he's probably not going to be a third-line center. Right, like it's actually no. there's actually nobody maybe in the Amer- maybe that, in the American yeah, league there's nobody that you can project certainly at, in that at that spot in the draft with a hundred percent certainty uh, that's going to be a third line no. center in the NHL. It's really hard. It's really hard to be a third line center in this league, as it turns out. Um, speaking of Seattle and uh, uh, the way they have built their team, the other thing I would say is I'm not sure you even like it would be really really difficult to build your team in Seattle in the model of Seattle because you're not starting with an expansion draft. You're not starting with a clean slate. Like even if you decided that the not really high end stars, even though some of them played like it this year and just tons of depth, even if you decided that was the model you wanted to follow, I think it's tough to do unless you're starting from a clean salary cap position with the expansion setup that they have. Yeah. Like it's really, it's just really tough to do it. Well, at Chicago, Chicago's what position to have like seventy million <laughs> plus in cap space in yeah. two years, so that's pretty close. But they'll but have they're a star. Have Bedard. Yeah, they'll have a star yeah. in Connor Bedard, right? And that, and then they'll have to pay that star and yada yada yada, right? Oh so even goodness. that is like not but, a. Bedard in seventy million, like that team is going to be terrifying, and it's going to happen fast, and it's really going to up the pressure on the Vancouver Canucks to actually pull off this time around the impatient building strategy that at this point is locked in to their DNA. It's going to be, they better be right. They better be right about this because it's coming in Chicago and that's going to be very tough for locals to swallow. It's going to be a huge bummer. I'm, I'm fascinated to see what Chicago does this summer, how much, how much priority they put into improving the team and just giving him some guys who aren't Jason Dickinson to play with. Uh, How how much is that a priority for Chicago this summer is going to be something that's interesting to watch. Um, Two games on tap tonight, Hurricanes, Devils, Stars, Kraken, the Stars and the Devils looking to pull even in this series, tie it up at two games apiece. As you said, lots of blowouts either way in both of these series. Which one are you more interested in, more intrigued by tonight? By far Dallas um, and uh, Seattle, especially because after Dallas really dominated that second game, I thought that series was on its way. Yep. And then Dallas couldn't have played worse in game three. I'm always interested in seeing how a team responds to not just getting beat, but like performing really badly Mm -hmm. like there's no one in that Dallas Stars locker room that is happy or thinks what they accomplished in game three was acceptable and that always creates a fascinating dynamic in terms of how that club's going to come out next Um, additionally the Carolina Hurricanes aren't playing in that game which makes it more interesting to me no I'm just kidding I um I'm also excited to watch Jack Hughes for sure and the Carolina Hurricanes well, 
I, I, mostly I just want a close game in one of these series, right? But I did think that the Devils showed a lot. Like, they showed a lot in that Game 3 win. I mean, obviously you score eight goals, but I thought Nico Heischer was great. Jack Hughes was really good. I'm not expecting them to replicate that type of performance, but I still think they can absolutely win that series against Carolina. I don't know what I would go, you know, oh, they've figured out how to play the Canes or anything like that. But I'm curious to see if they can kind of match, if not the end result in terms of scoring eight goals, but just the intensity and the process that they played with, which I thought was really impressive uh, in game three. And then I guess for Dallas, you know, the big like questions about Ottinger, obviously it sounds like Miro Heiskanen is, uh, is going to play, but I think how much of it is goaltending and how much of it is, everything else that they did wrong <laughs> in that game. Well, and how much is Grubauer having played 40 and Ottinger having played 62 Yep, an edge for Seattle over the balance of this series? Um, Sebastian Ajo. Do we talk about him enough? I think we do. Like when we ranked the top centerman, remember? Yeah, you think, you I had think him we had fifth. him higher than Pedersen. You Patterson. had him fifth, right? I would have had him lower than fifth, but yeah. Yeah, okay. I don't so want to put underrated by me. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I'm pretty sure he was fifth. So, so no, I know. I, I would have had him fifth, and yeah. you would have been wrong. <laughs> and that's fine. Then you would have written an athletic article where you put him lower than fifth the next day. <laughs> I was like, wait, what? <laughs> you're see, it's you're transitional. It's on transitional. It. It's a like it's a transitional clause. Like, come on. This All is right. weak. All weak. Right. Just this like, is, what's is done weak is done. What's gruel. done is done. Um, I'm saying if you were feeding weak gruel like that to orphans, they would ask for more. <laughs> Paradoxically, it's like, why do you want more? This is terrible. Anyways. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't want okay, more of this. Mr. Bumble. I wouldn't want any more of this. Anyways, what did you want to say about uh, about Sebastian Ajo? No, just he's he's awesome. I do think a big part of it is, and I know you mentioned this to uh, – to Shana the other day, it's a little harder to judge individual players in the Carolina system, right? Especially like even their high end offensive players, because they're asked to do different things. They're asked to do things that their peers, they 67 points, their peers around the league are not asked to do. Yeah. And like 67, 67 points for Sebastian Ajo in 75 games, which is fine, that's, but that's worth like 120 in Vancouver. Well, but like, and that's in this NHL environment when league scoring were like there were how many hundred point and 50 goal guys you know what I mean and it no, still wasn't he still wasn't over a point per game although he's been there in, in years so past. I'm just saying if you put him on a team where like you don't even have to check consistently <laughs> don't worry about winning games until the season's lost Jazzy I mean, my goodness Jazzy's not happy with your uh, with your take Aho is better than PD really that comes uh that comes from Jazz. Yeah. I don't know. I would take Patterson. But yeah. You hey, take I'm sorry. Like, hey, you know what? You know what? No, sorry. Stop it. Everyone has to stop it. One thing we like to do. Hold on. I'm on board with the. As, no, in Vancouver. Okay, okay, go ahead. In go Vancouver. Ahead. One thing we like to do is, like, dunk on the Toronto Maple Leafs best players for not having the dog in them to win in April and May. Just pointing out. I want to see the Canucks star players show they have the dog in them to win in October and November. Because one is a lot more damning than the other. Yeah, but what's one of the classic mistakes that bad teams do, right? They blame your best players. 
We see that all the right. time. Like, it's not Elias Pettersson's fault that this team has got off. Okay, the last Travis Green year, he was bad in the early part of the season. It was not his fault this year, but the team completely stumbled out of the gate. Like, I'm not going to hang that on Elias Pettersson. They need, it's a team game. I, I, and I, I, are you I, hanging it on? Are you hanging it on Matthews, Nylander, and Marner that they haven't scored a goal in this playoff series yet? I mean, but that's an individual production thing, right? Like that's not just the team not getting it done. That's p- specifically looking at their production. I, like, I think wasn't it's Demko and Net for all those blown leads. Well, okay, like, hold on. Demko but now, part of this but now we're core? talking about Demko. So, and not, so now we're talking about Demko and not Elias Pettersson, though. No, I said Vancouver's elite okay. core. I f- Vancouver's best players. Vancouver's best players. Three straight years haven't gotten out of the first month of the season, and like I can't understand how Canucks fans like enjoy being like, well, McDavid in the playoffs or like Matthews in the playoffs, when like, come on, Th- these guys need to win games in the at the easy part of the year. I don't know. The only Before time the we've games s- fill out. The only time we've seen Elias Patterson in the playoffs, he was awesome. And yeah, it was the was bubble awesome. and audi- yada yada yada. But like. It hey, is, I defend these guys when they play badly. They're great players. Hey, but I am not falling victim to the t- blame your bet your be- best players thing. I'm just saying at some point, y- you know, whether it's the off ice stuff, the leadership stuff, like at some point this team needs to come together and actually like have some success in the first six weeks. I agree. Th- there should be pressure on them to deliver. Well, I think there is pressure. I don't think there's any doubt that there's pressure. But, like, if Elias Pettersson is out there producing and out there tilting the ice whenever he's on the ice, like, I'm not sure what else to expect out of him in the first, even in the first month of the season, right? Like, to me, it's much more about everything surrounding him and the way the team is put together. And I would extend that to Quinn Hughes and... Thatcher Demko as well. Not that these guys are perfect, not that they haven't played poor games, but it also shouldn't be like if your goalie has a rough two weeks that you're knocked out of the playoff picture. That's not on Demko for having a rough two weeks. That's on the team that's been put around them. Like, I hear you. They, I feel they, you. You do I need to you, get it like, done like, in, in crunch time at some point. I get but you that. You have to, you certainly have to get it. No, crunch time. <laughs> you October, know I mean. November. <laughs> like, like, if you're going to live in a world where suggesting that Sebastian Ajo is better than Elias Pettersson has people suggesting that I'm inebriated in the inbox, um, well, then you can't be like, well, look at the rest of the team. Do you know who Sebastian Ajo's playing with on his wing right now? Like, Stefan Nosen. He played the first round with McEachern. Yeah. Like, Dakota Joshua's former lineman. Elias Pettersson got great minutes out of everyone who played with him this year. Look at what Quinn Hughes has done with his rotating cast. Like, these guys are capable of elevating their teammates. I'm not saying they're not. You can't deny that Carolina's overall roster is way stronger. Certainly their defense is, and they play with a lot more discipline. But Vancouver's got the talent up front to, to not, like, that it's not sufficient to explain the massive gap in results between the two teams. Like it's, it's goes beyond team quality. And obviously it's not just down to individual players, but like at some point you've got to win. If one guy's stirring the drink for one of the best teams in the league and another guy is stirring the drink for a perennial completely stuck also ran that hasn't made it out of the first month of the season. Like we need to put that context on our evaluation of the player. Like for me, 
you've got McDavid alone. And then you've got this tier of like McKinnon, Dreisaitl, Matthews. And then you've got this kind of group beneath that with like Point, Aho, Barkov, Pedersen. Like, I'm already giving Pedersen a ton of respect. I'm putting him with a bunch of guys who go late into the, the spring every single year. But to really be above that class, like, it's not just you need to succeed in the playoffs. You need to make it there. You need to make it to Christmas with a chance. Come on. We at least have to be able to have that conversation. Anyway, I'm off for the rest of the week, so <laughs> everyone save your comments well, for yourself. But final word will go to Keith the Water Guy, who says, Drance is actually right, and I hate saying that. So there you go. You won other Keith the Water Guy, Drancer. Uh, enjoy your days off. Thanks for listening. I will be on the air tomorrow. You've got it on Sportsnet 650. Don't miss a minute of your favorite Sportsnet 650 shows. Download and subscribe to the podcast and take us on the go. Sportsnet 650, the official home of the Canucks. You know, the champ could never accomplish what I have in life without Mama Champ in my corner. She's my strength, courage, love, and affection. You know, all the best champ qualities. This Mother's Day, bring that beautiful lady to the Canadian brew house and treat Mom to a free brunch, a special limited menu with something delicious for all to enjoy. Always true at the CBH. The champ ain't no mama's boy, but I am damn sure my mama's boy will see you at the brew. At BDC, we know being an entrepreneur means always being ready to take on challenges and seize opportunities. Get up to $100,000 with our small business loan to make your projects a reality. Simple, quick, and with no application fees, the BDC online loan offers you flexibility to protect your cash flow with favorable repayment terms. Apply now at bdc.ca slash online loan. Certain conditions apply. BDC. Financing. Advising. Know-how. Sonic 104.9 is the new alternative. Be you. Be different. Be alternative. Welcome a little Sonic into your life. Sonic 104.9. Or tell your smart speaker to play Sonic Radio. Introducing the Subway Series with 15 new chef-crafted subs. Just order by number. Our chef saw fresh mozzarella, combined it with pesto, and made the irresistible mozzarella bella. Number 12. Our chef combined salami, ham, pepperoni, and added Italian-style capicola to make the fully loaded supremo. Number 13. Then our chef brought out smoked brisket and created the delectable stampede brisket. Number 9. It's so chef-y you'll never want to build your own sandwich again. Never. Try the new Subway Series today. Yes way. Only at Subway. Photography lovers, creators, storytellers, it's Canon Canada's 50th anniversary. And as the nation's number one camera brand, we're celebrating with amazing deals. Take a break from the phone. Reignite your creative spirit with an exciting new generation of purpose-built cameras and lenses. Get big in-store savings, perks like on-demand education, plus up to $500 bonus cash back from Canon. Don't miss out. Canon Canada's 50th anniversary sales event is on now. Visit canon.ca for details. Terms and conditions apply. Who's ready to go clubbing in Whistler? Mark your calendar. Fairmont Chateau Whistler Golf Club reopens May 11th for their 30th season of mountain golf at its finest. For the Whistler Golf Resort vacation offer, visit chateau-whistler.com offers. 
Join the momentum with your Abbotsford Canucks. He's got Baines with him, two on one. Clearance in on goal, scores! How about that? Become a season ticket member for the upcoming 2023-24 season. Here's Rathbone leading the rush. You'll wind and fire one, scores! Jackpot! Go to tickets.abbotsfordcanucks.ca. Don't miss a game. Become a member today. Hi, Keith here from Speedy Glass. Looking to get your windshield repaired? It's as easy as one, two, three. One, visit speedyglass.ca. Two, select the service center and time that suits you best. And three, pay zero dollars for your chip repair if you're insured. Count on us to make repairing your windshield easy. Book your windshield repair online today at speedyglass.ca. Certain conditions apply. Details at speedyglass.ca. Speedy Glass Repair. Speedy Glass Replace. Fable Diner and Bar brings the delicious, homemade, and locally sourced legacy that started with Fable Kitchen in Kitsilano to a new downtown location. It's a restaurant. It's a bar. It's whatever you want it to be. Brunch, happy hour, dinner, and cocktails at the Kingston Hotel on Richards, just minutes away from all the major downtown venues. Four floors, two patios, six rooms, two bars, 400 seats, and one great time out. The perfect start to whatever's next. Fable, locally sourced, locally crafted, locally enjoyed. Breaking story from Alpine News Network. John had a brilliant idea for a startup. Turn children's artwork into toys. He called Alpine Credits for a home equity loan. His loan was approved and a superhero was sent over to assist John with his business needs. Her superpower isn't just home equity loans. It's helping people realize their dreams. She can also run so fast her shoes melt. Own your home? Need a loan? Alpine Credits can help. Alpine Credits, where homeowners get approved. Cheap food and drinks during the playoffs. What could be better? Don't miss the action. Come to the Pint and enjoy every Canadian team game with the sound on. The Pint Vancouver, your home for playoff hockey. Book your reservation today at vancouver.thepint.ca. CISL Vancouver is Sportsnet 650. The official home of the Canucks. and subscribe to our podcasts on Apple, Spotify, and Google. Regressing to the mean since 2015, it's the Hockey PDO Cast with your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO Cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me is my good buddy, Cam Robinson. Cam, what's going on, man? Yeah, not too much, Tim. How are you doing, bud? I'm good. 